All right. Let's turn this morning to James chapter 1. The epistle, I should say the general epistle of James. Uh, James is a general epistle in the New Testament. So he's right behind Hebrews. All right. And so uh, the general epistles begin with the letter to the Hebrews and end with Jude. Um, And so he runs from largest to smallest just like the Pauline epistles do, starting with Romans, remember? And so uh, we find James kind of tucked right in there, and, you know, we finished up our series on John chapter 6, which we stayed in for quite a while. Now we're going to be in James for five Sundays, because that's where the lectionary lands in the epistle readings. And so just a real quick word, the lectionary Old Testament... And gospel reading, they're paired together. Uh, Just like when you're pairing foods together. These two are paired together in track two of our lectionary readings. So through the end of the year, we're going to be following that. So that, just notice when when we have that, uh, what was it, Deuteronomy reading. And then when we have the gospel reading, which by the way, we're, we're going to be in Mark until Advent. So Mark's, we're going to finish out the gospel of Mark reading most of it. Uh, this year, in this year B. And so, just a little note here about the sequence of things, but in the epistle, uh, sometimes it will pair with the gospel and uh, Old Testament reading, sometimes it won't. And so, you'll see kind of an interesting thing there. But this is the only time James is offered in the lectionary reading. So, in a three-year cycle of readings, and we end up reading most of the Bible, I hope you know that. So, in these readings that we do, they're purposeful and they're spaced out so that we end up reading almost the whole Bible over three years together. Which is pretty cool. I mean, it's a, like a family reading of the Bible. Uh, and and that's, that's a neat thing that we're called to do. Well, James is only offered in year B. And so, as Pastor Bruce and I were praying about what we wanted to preach... ...and what the Lord would have us to preach... ...it seemed very clear to us, like, hey, you got to deal with James. Now, do you know why you got to deal with James? Because James is ready to deal with you. <laughs> uh, could we say it that way, maybe? Have you ever read the book of James? Um, so we're going we're gonna to read some of it, and, uh, and what we're going to read uh, this morning is 17 through 27 of chapter 1. Notice these words here. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth. Now that term there is... The idea of being born again. The new birth, actually, is what he's saying. Of his own will, God's will, he brought us forth. He made us born again by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak... And then slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And then receive the meekness, or with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. ...deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a 
hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Lord, bless now the reading of this word and the preaching of it to your people. May you do something that only you can do, and that is change a heart. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you can pick up just from those few verses, but James is here to kind of give us a little punch to the gut. He's not messing around with words. He's not high and lofty doctrinally, but instead James takes our beautiful doctrine that God has revealed to us about himself, these high doctrines of love and forgiveness and and, uh, mercy, he takes them and he brings them home, puts it right into our living room and how we live with each other and how we live at school and how we live at work and says, you need to be one One with God, one with yourself, and one with others in these practical ways. James has no problem in this epistle telling us the applicable ways in which the gospel must be worked out in our actual lives. Now, James was directly associated with Jesus, either as a half-brother of Jesus, or as one of the twelve. And there's some scholarly debate that we don't have to go into now. Either way, this James personally knew Jesus. Now that's big, because that means James was a witness to God in the flesh. This is remarkable, because our faith is not just wishful thinking... But it's grounded in the witness of historical people that lived and passed down these stories. We're apostolic in this way too. That's really what we mean when we say the church is one holy Catholic apostolic, right? Like that means that our witness of the gospel, the good news, the resurrection life that God offers to us, it's been passed down through the apostles, an apostolic line of witnesses. Which means that you too are a witness. If you've received this life, if you've received this word, then you become a witness also in the apostolic line. Which apostle just means sent one. Isn't that cool? Because guess what we do at the end of every one of our services is we send you away. We don't ask you to stay around here for the rest of the week. And some of you are like, thank God. 
After being here this long, you know, we're ready to get out. And it's, that's the way it works. We come in, we gather, we, are, we, we hear the word, and then we're fed, and then we move out. That's why even our liturgy, again, the work of the people, our order of worship is this. The first part deals with the word. It's called the liturgy of the word. The second part of the service, when we finish the sermon, we, we shift gears. And then we start turning our attention to the table. Because now we've heard the good news. What are you going to do about it? Well, we want to respond. We want to eat and drink. And then we send you out. That's Every service is like this. In some form or fashion, every service since Jesus uh, was resurrected has been in this order. So James was writing as a follower of Jesus who he knew personally. That's big. And by that, he knows and remembers Jesus' words. And that is, if you love me, what? Do my commandments. Do my commandments. Do them. Don't just think about them. Don't just understand them, but do them. That's one of James's big emphases in this book, as you may well know. And so James is writing to early Christians. He's early on. Like this is one of the earliest documents, probably right behind 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. This is shortly after Jesus' resurrection. And he's writing to Jews who have been persecuted, who are in poverty, and there's a great famine. That doesn't sound great. And to add to things, the Roman Empire has now scattered them out of Jerusalem... And this is known as the diaspora, right? The dispersion of the Jews out of Jerusalem, out of Israel. And he even tells us that at the beginning of his book. And so this letter seems to be, when we read it, it sounds like James is just kind of popping around in his head certain things. Oh, yeah, anger and uh, let me think. Oh, and also this and also that. And by the way, stop doing that. That's the way it comes across, isn't it? If you've ever read James, it's like, yeah, he's just kind of pulling stuff out of the hat, you know, reaching in. Oh, anger. Ooh, boy, who wants to deal with that? Partiality. Who wants to deal with that? Rich and poor. Ooh, wealth. I mean, it's a big bag of things. But really, the way we should see this is this is probably a concise version of sermons that James has preached. So in other words, it'd be like taking our sermons here, boiling them down to one word. Wouldn't that be nice? One word sermons, you know, or one, I'm sorry, one word. One sentence sermons, let's at least give that, okay? Sometimes my title is one word, but, you know. And then putting that out, you see? So, so he's not just bouncing around. No, it's intentional, but it's James's sage wisdom. And it should remind us of Proverbs. In fact... It's proverbial with its maxims and one-liners, isn't it? When you read the book, and, and I would just suggest over the next five weeks, at least read it once. And what, what it is, is James is made of five chapters, and we're going to have one sermon from each chapter here in the lectionary readings. And so James begins this way, and it seems backwards to us. You can see it for yourself here in James 1, 2. Count it all joy... My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, 
and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I, I think that's a purpose statement for the book. In other words, the reason I'm writing all this stuff is so that you're not lacking anything and that you're whole, complete, perfect. Now that term perfect, just to be clear, doesn't mean any deviation. It doesn't mean you're never going to trip up. It doesn't mean you have perfect knowledge now. That's not what we mean by perfect. When we say that, oh yeah, she's a perfect little girl, which I say often, I don't mean that she never messes up. I mean that she perfectly acts like a five-year-old girl. What a five-year-old should be. All right? It means whole. It means you're complete, not, not fragmented, not missing this or that that's critical, but instead full, complete, whole, wholehearted even. And so, in short, it's not to be a hypocrite. Haven't we heard Jesus' words this morning already? Well said Isaiah, he says, for you hypocrites. Well, what, is, what is a hypocrite? Well, put simply, a hypocrite is an actor. It's actually where the root of the word comes from, actor. So I guess everybody in Hollywood is a hypocrite. But we already knew that, didn't we? Did we? Okay. Some of you may be too big of fans to admit it, but an actor is a hypocrite. That's, that's where the root of this word comes from. It means that you're acting out something, but that's not really you. It's not really you. Jesus would say it this way, you're like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside. Marble, flowers everywhere, but on the inside, dead man's bones. No, it's what's inside, James will say, that matters. Because he, he heard Jesus. He remembers Jesus and what he said. He remembers Deuteronomy 6, which is known as the Shema, where it says, which just means hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall worship the Lord your God with all your heart. Do you hear that? All your heart. The heart is our inner chamber. It's the center of who we are. That's the Old Testament usage of the heart. And it flows right into the New Testament usage as well. And even up to this day, we, we still use heart in this centralizing, symbolic feature, don't we? As scientific as we are, as medically minded as we are, we still say, oh, I love that with all my heart. I love you with all my heart. Well, if we just mean it in medical terms, that's sort of weird, isn't it? You don't love me with your hand? No, we're not talking about a bodily organ. We're talking about something more. But something centralized, right? They say your heart's about right here. Which is why kind of when we're doing the Pledge of Allegiance, we do this number, right? Right in the center, you see? Right in the center of who we are. What is in our center? What's in our inner chamber? Now, none of us... Let's be frank, none of us can see one another's inner chamber, can we? No. I mean, 
as much as I know Jessica, I can't see her energy. She can't see mine. Now, what comes out of us reveals what's deep down in there. And I hope I'm not alone in this. Some of the stuff that has come out in my actions throughout my life have scared me. Which means there's something deep and dark and wrong and flawed and sinful that's in me. Which is sort of the point about salvation. Salvation is the sanctifying of our heart to God. It's something that we can't do. We can't change our own heart. We, our heart will deceive us. It's not within our control to just change our... Now, we can change our behavior. Have you noticed that? You can change your behavior, things you eat. and like, you, can, you can read a book and get excited about a new diet or a new workout plan. Or, you can do these things on the outside. But friend, you can't give yourself a new heart. You can't make yourself born again. James says, that only comes by the will of God. That's why it's not enough to just change your behavior. That's why, that's why here at this church and every church that preaches the gospel, it's not about just behavior modification. It truly is about what is in your heart. You can have everybody fooled. You can be the best actor and get all sorts of awards for it one day. But if your heart is not God's, he is not satisfied. He wants the heart. That's where he, that's where the temple is. That's the holy of holies, the inner chamber. No. We can be made whole. But only if Christ has our whole heart. And we can do what we believe. And we can do what flows out of our heart if he is there empowering us. That's kind of the point of what he's saying. He, God declares over us that we're sons and daughters and we can live into that. He redeems us from the pit so that we don't have to live in the pit. He has saved us, so let's start acting like it. You know, I, I tell my kids all the time, I say, I say, you know, hey, you're a good boy. You're a good girl. Start acting like it. Sometimes we forget who we are, and we forget whose we are. Sometimes I have to pull them over to the side. Hey, son, we don't act like this. This is not who we are. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has to pull us over and say, and sometimes he uses people, and that's kind of the worst, isn't it? Am I the only one that thinks that? I, would just, I wish the Holy Spirit just whispered to me only, you know, and not told my wife what I was doing. And she comes to me and says, hey, I really think you were wrong about this. And then I'm just like, I'm wrecked. But you know, the Spirit speaks through others. It's why we must submit ourselves one to another. This is not an individual journey. We're a family. And family's tough. But family's necessary. You wouldn't exist if you didn't have your family. And we wouldn't exist as a church if we didn't have the family of God. 
The gospel would have not been passed down. But it is. And we're called to be that family. And so, you know, this, this is not this whole thing about um, James preaching these little, like these sermonettes, or ultimately these concise, th- and, and that, that passes on doctrine. That's not, that's not unusual to our own tradition. You know, John Wesley never wrote a systematic theology like some of his companions did. Instead, his doctrine was fit into sermons. In fact, he had 52 standard sermons that all of his preachers had to memorize and had to preach. So he said, preach these sermons because this will teach you what it is we believe. And that's what I'm saying. These little sermonettes by James here, oh man, I mean like read through it slowly. And then ask yourself along the way, as I've been trying to dare to do even this week, and that is, Lord, not what are you saying for other people? What are you saying to me? Do you want the Lord to speak to you through his word? He wants to. He wants to. That's why we pray the prayer of illumination. Lord, open my heart, open my mind to hear what it is you want to say to me. But friends, it's not enough just to hear, is it? That's not, James says, no, 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 don't stop there. Be doers of the word. Don't just hear and then forget. That's like forgetting what you look like. No. Let's look into the perfect law of liberty. Let's look into this mirror and see what's really in our heart. Now, that, that could be painful. But he is the healer. Remember what we've said before? If, if you want healing, you gotta go to the doctor. But if you go to the doctor and really your problem is this part of your arm and you're only showing him a fingernail and refuse to show it to him, is there gonna be healing? Is there gonna be a correct diagnosis? No. We have to bring it to Jesus. Like, Confess it. Say it. Lay it on the table. For many of us, maybe the epistle of James ends up in our junk mail, so to speak. We've overlooked it. But it's one we need to pull out, open up, and begin to read. And allow it to read us. Because you have to do it. Faith isn't just mental assent. Oh, I believe that. Show me. Believing is doing. So today we look at this first chapter of James. And in this chapter, just to summarize for you. um, Chapter 1 is really an introduction. And he's going to bring up everything else that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. Could I just give you a quick list of some of the topics here? And by the way, there's 12 teachings that scholars have noted in James. Do you know how many sins were in that list that Jesus gave in the gospel reading? Remember that little list there? 12. You know what 12 is about? Rulership. Authority. It's a symbolic number of rulership, which is why there were 12 tribes of Israel, which is why there were 12 disciples. 
There's 12 sins in Jesus' list. There's 12 topics that ultimately James is going to cover. The first is this, favoritism versus love. And by the way, that one is directly connected to the Sermon on the Mount. Most of these are, by the way. James is really pulling heavily from the Sermon on the Mount. Favoritism versus love. The second one, genuine faith. The third one, the tongue. Now, Pastor Bruce is going to be preaching that one. Let me tell you, that's going to be one that we all need to hear. Can I just say that? Like all of us, including my friend Bruce and me, need to hear it. Watch what you do with your tongue. It's kind of like one of the most important organs, if you will. I don't even know if that's proper, but I'm making it that way. In your body. Tongue. Either life or death come from. Mm. True or false wisdom. That's the fourth thing. A divided heart is the fifth thing. Oh, Lord, help us. Condemning others. That's the sixth thing he deals with. The seventh, the arrogance of wealth. It just poof is gone. The danger of wealth, number eight. And number nine, patience and endurance. Ooh, painful. The last one is let your yes be yes, your no be no. So these are the big kind of topics up to 11, sorry. Uh, faith-filled prayer. 12, restoring others. So he ends on a good note, restoring others. Have you seen your ministry as restoring others to the faith? Restoring faith in others even. Man, don't we need, don't you need somebody in your life that restores your faith? And restores you in faith. Can I just say to you that you're never going to be mature enough not to need others to help you. That's not what Christian maturity is. Christian maturity means the weaker you are, the better. And that, that, is, that is just, it's so backwards, isn't it? Because we think, oh man, the more mature I am, the more complete I am, the more perfect I am in love, that means I don't need you. Uh, I'm mature. No, no, it means I need you more than I ever have in my life. And I'm saying that to you right now. And I've been in the game a little while. Some of you have been in the game longer. And you ought to know that's what maturity looks like. We need a new heart. We need to be born of God. Born of the Spirit. James will say we're actually, and, and, and he, he doesn't mince words here, just like Jesus, just like the apostle of love, St. John, you're either a child of the devil. That's the language of the Bible. From the apostle of love. You're either a child of the devil and your father is the devil or your father is God and you're a child of his. There are no other options. 
God is the only game in town. There are no others. You are Christ's own. You're filled with the Spirit of God. So let's live like it. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Let's live like it. Let's believe that. Let's wake up in the morning and say, Holy Spirit, I know you are with me. Sometimes you have to declare that. Because it sure doesn't feel like it. Thank you. At least I'm not alone in that. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. And we declare it. I am yours. You're my cornerstone. You're the one that turns sorrow into joy. And again, it's just the gospel is so backwards to our world because our world is broken. Has anybody noticed? Like it's not good. It's not a good place. We want it to be, but it's not the answer. The world is not the answer. Governments are not the answer. There's only one kingdom. And we even begin our service that way, right? His kingdom, now and forever. That's the kingdom we want to arise. That's the city that God is building. And he's doing it through people like us. Through a church like this. With no hot shots. No big wigs. No tons of resources. And this is where he wants to start building his kingdom. And he doesn't want us against Cornerstone down here, the church. He doesn't want us against Summit Crossing. He doesn't want us against, you name the church in our local. We're on the same team, but we're called right here to build something with him. Something unique to us. That's what he's, that's what, he likes that kind of stuff. <laughs> you see, James is not satisfied with high and haughty doctrine. Now, I love that. I like the big words. I like the theological. I, I could live there the rest of my life, to be honest with you. Probably by myself, which is not good. And I'm, and I'm learning not to. James won't have it. He says, no, no, you've got to come down out of the ivory tower and get on the street. What is true religion? Visiting orphans. Adopting them. Bringing them into your homes. Going to them. Visiting widows. And again, orphans and widows in the first century, very different circumstances than even now. You think things are bad now, like it's way better than it was then. A child born with deformity often was just simply put in the dumpster. The city dump. And the early, the, the early Christians would come early in the morning... After someone would drop a kid off in the night, and they pick them up, bring them home, raise them, raise them in Christ. And it's one of the reasons, population-wise, Christians outpopulated Romans. And over time, and by 300, Constantine doesn't have to declare Rome a Christian nation. Rome is Christian by majority. He's just checking the political winds and realizes that it's in his favor to make Christianity legal. No, it was God's work 
but it wasn't high and mighty work. It wasn't the politicians. It wasn't through changing of the laws of Rome. It was through people like you and me visiting people that are forgotten. Who's the forgotten in our world? Go visit with them. Go be with them. Invite them into your home. That's what the gospel looks like. Hasn't Jesus done that to each and every one of us? I don't deserve to be in his kingdom. And yet he calls me his son. (laughs) Mm. We need God's word. That's what James says. His perfect law of liberty. Law just simply means instructions. We need his instructions. And we're not to add to his instructions. And we're not to take away from his instructions. And that's difficult for some of us. Some of us want to take certain things out of the Bible. And I'm here to tell you, I am unwilling to do that. The scripture calls us not to do that. Some of us want to add something. Well, you also need this or that. No, no, his word is complete for us. Everything for godliness is here in these pages. You see, it's not about just studying it, though. It's about living it. That's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? That's where the gospel comes into our living room. That's where true religion happens. True devotion to God. And so, James just has this, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials in various of various kinds. Let me read that again. Count it all joy when you meet trials, difficulties of various kinds. Do you do that? Do I do that? You know, I've met some trials this year And, you know, not to get into some of the bigger ones, but some of the more minor ones, like my truck, for instance, is just having a really difficult year. Um, If I had a difficult year in 2020, my truck is really, this is the year it's having a difficult year. And she's barely hanging in there, to be honest with you. Every time I think I got one thing fixed on it, uh, something else comes about. And I get this, and then I hear a new noise. And then that, and then something else. And, I mean, it's just... You know, you get to that point where you're like, we should have gotten rid of this thing. It's going to eat us out of house and home. I haven't looked at those. (laughs) Uh, Well, let me put it this way. I just recently started looking at my truck trials as an opportunity to trust God. And you know what? God has come through for me. And Jessica and our family can testify to it. When we don't know how this is going to happen, he provides a way. Without us even trying to make it happen, 
We just literally prayed as a family. And then the Lord provided. Because he used somebody. You know the Lord wants to use you to help provide good gifts to people? All the good gifts that we receive. And I've received way too many in my life from God. Truly. Like I don't deserve what he's given to me. But all the good gifts, every perfect gift, remember, comes from where? It comes from above. The Father of lights, and it comes down, but it comes down through his people. How many of us want to be a blessing this week? Let's look for an opportunity to bless someone. Because by blessing someone else, we get blessed, and we are obedient to Christ. I mean, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. You see, he tests us because he loves us. You know, instructors give exams and tests, right? Everybody in here has probably taken a test. Amen? Amen. And the reason instructors give tests is because they're mean, right? They really hate you. Well, I am an instructor, and I give tests, and I like my students. Here's why I give them is because a test forces you to take what's in your head and put it on paper. That's actually a difficult thing to do. Now, it seems like it's super easy in our head. Oh, yeah, I know about this or that. I know, you know, I know about the atonement. Well, then, then write it down for us. Oh, uh, it's a little more difficult, isn't it? We think we know much more than we know. <laughs> and that's just sort of a general rule. So it forces us. To get it out into our hands. Are you with me? James is saying, we're tested by God. He tests us just like he did Abraham. Because he loves us. That's why. And he's wanting to get the gospel out of our head and into our hands. Right? He wants us to actually do something. We also... Test things to see what they're made of. None of, us, none of us want to be in a building that's untested. No, we want the engineers to run the test and actually put some weight on the thing. I don't just want the theoretical man. Like, I need to know this is tested. Well, when we're tested, what's in us? What comes out? That's very telling. I, and you know... I, I haven't liked what's come out of me when I'm tested. That's really where we're squeezed, isn't it? The real us comes out. Imagine a container. If you bump it, the real contents come out. The outside, have you ever done this before? Maybe, maybe you've done this before, where you, you ordered a Sprite, and then you went to drink it, and it was Coca-Cola. It's surprising. Like the outside says Sprite, you know, in your little cup or whatever. You're like thinking Sprite. And then all of a sudden, you'd picked up somebody else's drink. And it's Coca-Cola. It's so weird. So surprised. It's like, what in the world is going on? No. What's in us? We say we're this. What comes out? What actually comes out? That's what James is saying. Our faith is something that must be made visible in what we do. 
It's wholehearted devotion to Christ. And by His grace, in His Spirit, with the help of the church, we can know God and walk in His ways. We can be whole. We can stop acting. We can stop putting on a face. This is good news, friends. We can stop acting. What if I were to tell you, you don't have to fake your way through being good? That actually, by the power of the Spirit, He can bring about real righteousness in our life. Do you believe that His grace is greater than sin? That His work on the cross is stronger than the enemy's power? Now, once the heart has changed, we're going to need all kind of human help. And that's where banded discipleship comes in. That's where, that's where counseling comes in. That's where all sorts of other things come in. But none of it is possible truly without a changed heart. You need a new heart, a new birth. And that's only by the will of God. We can be one with God, one with others. And one with ourself. And that's important. Don't deceive yourself. Don't be double-minded. Don't be divided. But instead firmly planted on the rock who is Jesus. The rock of his word. As Jerry Maguire said, you complete me. I think the gospel is a promise that God can complete us. That thing that makes us restless, that thing we can't quite touch, but we, it's a place for him. Him alone. But how many of us have sought his mercy every morning that's available to us? How many of us have, have truly sought after the face of God? If he really is the only one who saves the only one who heals, and the only one who restores and transforms our inner chamber. We have to go to Him. It doesn't just happen automatically. We have to go to Him and spend time with Him. Make an appointment with Him every day, just like you would if something was wrong. Listen, I'm not the type to watch something fester on my skin. I'm just not. Some of you, I know, you know, all about like, because I ask my brother sometimes like, how do people let things get that bad? They just, ah, you know, they just think it's not a big deal. Listen, if something shows up on my skin, you can believe I've, I'm, Jessica knows it. I'll be close to calling 911 about something. <laughs> I'd rather be safe than sorry. Now, maybe you like stuff growing on you. I don't. I don't like it. If it's not supposed to be there, I want to figure out why it's there and how we can get it off. James says this, put it away. Put sin away so you can receive the grace of God, the gift of God, but not before you don't put it away. Make an appointment with the great physician. He wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. He wants to make us new. And he can do it. He can do it. But he must be Lord. We've got to make him Lord in our own lives I wonder if we could just 
at the end of this sermon here, pray Psalm 15, which we've already read together, but I'm just going to pray it over us, okay? It's a different version than um, our ESV translation earlier. Hear these words as a prayer. Lord, who may dwell in your tabernacle? Who may abide upon your holy hill? It's whoever leads a blameless life and does what is right. Who speaks the truth from his heart. There is no guile upon the tongue. You hear these themes? He does no evil to his friend. He does not heap contempt upon his neighbor. Help us. In his sight, the wicked is rejected, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He has sworn to do no wrong. He does not take back his word. Sound familiar? He does not give his money in hope of gain, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things shall never be overthrown. May it be so, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.